This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. I am so excited that today we have a jam-packed episode. Um, First, we are going to hear from Dr. Krista Johnson, who is the executive director and founder of All Memphis. She is so super knowledgeable um, about all of these wraparound services and how they are going into schools to help equip the educators and everybody there to be able to meet kids where they are and make sure that everybody is learning in the way that best suits them so that no one is left behind, which is really, really interesting. They have a unique approach, which is called the Orton-Gillingham approach, and it's multi-sensory. I was not familiar with this approach, and I, I found it really, really exciting. I think it was interesting to me that more people don't use it. So um, I'm excited for you to hear about everything that Dr. Krista Johnson has to say. And then later you will hear from some of our very own New Memphians, uh, Christy Mullen and Laura Beth Davis, as we talk about all of the ways that New Memphis connects and gives back to our community. So let's get going. Welcome, Krista. Thank you so much for joining us in studio. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. This is wonderful. Yeah, well, we are um, big fans of, of your work, and but I will say I'm a, I'm a newer fan because I was not as aware of um, the work of All Memphis. So before we jump into the organization and, and y'all's outcomes, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in education in general? Absolutely. Well, I am not a native Memphian. Um, although I wish I could put that um, on my resume. I love Memphis. I love everything Memphis has to offer. But I was actually born and raised in a small town in northern New Mexico. Um, yeah, most most famously probably known, for better or worse, for the Manhattan Project. Okay. Um, and so I, I mention this because many, many scientists have descended upon my city over the years, many brilliant minds. And I feel like this really sort of started shaping my view of education from a really young, young age. So, you know, when I was very young um, in this town, education was put as a top priority. It was very important. Every student got a great public education. And going to college was not uh, if I go to college. It was when I go to college. And so I sort of grew up just thinking you know, very sheltered and in hindsight, um, very naively, that public education and education in general is provided equally to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went away to college. I went to Arizona State for undergrad, and I ended up in Chicago Northwestern for my my graduate degrees. Um, And at Northwestern, my first master's program was in audiology. Hmm. And I, I discovered throughout that program that I really liked the science of the brain and how the brain understands and processes speech more than I liked the the clinical side of audiology. So I went on and did my doctorate in auditory neuroscience, and I really used students. It was the first time I worked with students who weren't reading on grade level. So I had a population of students come in that weren't reading accurately on grade mm-hmm. level. Yeah. And we would look at how their brain responded to speech sounds and tried to see, is there any way that we could diagnose the onset of reading disorder just by looking at something even as low down as the brainstem's response? And this got me super excited about the applicability of this 
research into the field of reading. And as sometimes research is, your discoveries sort of stop at the publication stage. Um, and I didn't want that. I really wanted that clinical uh, the ability to, to move this forward in the population. And so um, much to my parents' chagrin, I went and did another master's degree after my doctorate <laughs> in um, learning disabilities wow. um, with really the idea to bridge the gap between um, research and clinical practice. And that's where I found my love for working with students who are struggling readers. And so in 2010, when I was about to leave Chicago, I was very fortunate enough to be um, introduced to the Hydes. Um, I was very fortunate to Barbara be- and Pitt Hyde. Yes, yeah. Barbara and <laughs> Pitt Hyde, a wonderful family. Um, I was so fortunate to be able to spend some time with them, and um, they really helped me understand what education felt like and looked like in Memphis and encouraged me um, to come to Memphis and sort of bring my expertise um, and desire for change to Memphis. And so um, through caution to the wind, and here I am. Uh, I've been here since um, 2010. Um, I started in Memphis um, working private practice. So um, I worked with students whose families could pay for um, private tutoring. And um, But at that time in Memphis, I, I'm sure you all remember, it was a really interesting time with the um, demerger and merger of Memphis City Schools, Shelby County Schools. And so even though I was really working with um, uh, a private school population at the time, it was very hard to escape what was happening in education at Memphis, mm -hmm. in Memphis. And I couldn't help but think, man, that's where I want to be. That's where I could make the most impact and reach the most students. And so I really sort of veered away from private practice with an eye towards trying to figure out how can I take my talent um, and reach a bigger community here in my community. And um, that just sort of one thing led to another. And in 2017, I had the opportunity to branch off from um, the organization that I was working at and start All Memphis. So I founded All Memphis in 2017, and uh, here we are four years later. That's, that's, wow. So again, for those who may not know, give us the elevator pitch for All Memphis. What, what, what kind of work do you do? Who do you serve? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So our wonderful team at All Memphis really works to foster opportunity for the historically excluded students to access literacy and really not only access literacy, but the freedoms and opportunities that literacy brings. And we do this for, um, through empowering teachers to become experts in reading instruction through mentorship, training, professional development in foundational literacy. I, I love the, the intersection of, again, education and science, which I, I think is, makes you a really unique um, person to come and do this work. How has your background as a scientist really informed we have so many amazing education leaders in our city and they come, you know, they do have all kinds of different backgrounds. I'm sure you're working closely with some of those other organizations and leaders. Tell me how your work really supplements, complements, where is there the, the easy handoff? Yeah. So, you know, that's a really thoughtful question and um, something that we try to always keep at the forefront um, of our organization. I think, you know, me as coming from a scientific background, data is super important to me, to our organization. We want to make sure that we are 
you know, the best stewards of the money that we are able to either fundraise or um, the money that schools are, you know, dedicating to having their students become um, better readers. And we think that we can only do that with data-driven mm-hmm. um, results. But, you know, to this, the sort of the other part of your question, you know, how, do, how does All Memphis fold into the greater um, work that's being done in Memphis? It's also something that we really keep at the forefront of our mind that, yes, we're a literacy organization. We're very passionate about it. We think that literacy has the power to change a student's life. Um, but we also recognize wholeheartedly that that is just a small sector of what's going to help, help a child change their life. We mm-hmm. are providing um, sort of a bouncing off place for a student um, if they overcome all of the other obstacles that some of our students are faced with. And we really recognize that until, you know, generational poverty, uh, systemic racism, all of these really, really tough um, embedded um, things in our community are eradicated. You know, that educational equity and, and the freedoms that we talk about literacy providing aren't going to be recognized. But so we work very, very closely with other organizations that provide these wraparound services um, to really make sure that the students that we're working with are getting support from the broad spectrum. And, and we're providing that piece of literacy where they can go, you know, read a menu, um, fill out a job application, um, read a scientific paper and, you know, write a manual, technical manual for a spaceship. You know, Mm. all of the potential that the students here in Memphis have, we want them to be able to recognize that as well. That's exciting. Um, So on your website, I saw something that kind of piqued my interest that was a little bit unique, at least in my understanding of traditional approaches to literacy and Mm -hmm. access to literacy. So what is the Orton-Gillingham approach? Did I say that correctly? You absolutely did. (laughs) Yeah, wonderful. Um, So Orton-Gillingham approach um, is really thought to be the gold standard in reading remediation. Okay. So Orton-Gillingham approach was created back in 1920s. So it's it's been around for nearly a century um, and it, 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 within the field of reading, it, like I said earlier, it is really recognized as being very strong for okay. students struggling reading. And what it is, it's a multisensory approach. So um, students who don't have a problem learning to read will probably learn to read, may even self-teach themselves to read, um, or might learn to read no matter what materials you put in front of them. But the student that's behind struggling or just not there yet needs this approach that's going to activate all of their sensory um, elements. So auditory, visual, tactile, kinesthetic. So just all these different ways for the brain to be familiarized with the sounds that they're learning, how to put those map, if you will, those sounds to the letters, and how to then blend those letters together or separate them um, to be able to spell. Um, And so Orton-Gillingham is also a very interesting, has an interesting path, uh, past. The Orton, a true Orton-Gillingham approach really takes um, a lot of time. It's very individualized. And for decades, it was really only thought to be effective in a one-on-one situation. Okay. And so only individuals, students, adults, whoever was going to be using it, 
that could really have the time, the resources to work one-on-one with someone who was trained in this approach could benefit from this approach. Um, We do have a wonderful school here in Memphis, um, Bodine School up in Germantown, that uses this approach with their students, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's a private school, comes with the private school price tag, and their students are afforded the ability to work with this approach, you know, two hours a day um, and really get that remediation they need. And so what All Memphis is really trying to do is figure out how can we take this approach that has been sort of historically Def, uh, historically limited to students that you know have have affluence and and the ability to pay for that. How can we take this approach and use it in a more broad sense? And um, our our sort of what we consider a very innovative approach to that is making teachers experts in Orton Gillingham, mm. uh, which is ultimately just the best way to teach reading. Interesting, and that's what we do. Interesting. The multi-sensory part of it, I feel like, makes sense now that I know what all of your degrees and everything are in. (laughs) Because it does feel like it, uh, like Anna mentioned earlier, it blends some of that, like, science with the actual, like, implementation of the reading. Yeah. Which is very unique to me. I mean, it, it almost is like Montessori schools in a little... Uh, maybe not at all. You're you're, <laughs> you're, you're you're looking at me like that's absolutely not. But like, um, it, when I think of like kinesthetic learning of like doing yes. while I'm like reading, I don't necessarily like not just visual, right? So that's I guess what I mean. But yeah, and so oftentimes there's people that are learning. It's like you could go to a class. Even I, you know, I'm guilty of this. I could go to a class and be lectured at all day long, and then until I actually go do what I was just lectured at it's not going to stick, right? I have to go through the physical motions of doing that. And so with students who might be struggling to read, they need that that extra piece that is actually going to be doing. So instead of looking at a letter A and saying, A, ah, you know, we're looking at that A, we're tracing the A, we're underlining the keyword, we're making sure that we can represent the sound of that in multiple different ways. And that is the doing part for them. So when they encounter that A in their reading, now they're going to be able to not only rely on the sight, but how what it sounded like when they saw it, what it felt like when they were tracing it. Um, they can pull up that keyword if they're very unsure. So we're just giving them all of these opportunities to be successful. All of the tools and the tool belts. So you yeah. can kind of pick and choose when needed. That's absolutely, yeah. It's funny. I was I was having this conversation with my sister who has a child in first grade, and I think you know she did kindergarten remotely, which uh, is like not ideal. No, <laughs> no. And so she struggles hard. with like focus and at any rate, um, she's gotten a little bit behind in reading, and so we've been talking about like hiring a tutor and sort of what's next. And it it got me thinking about like, do I remember how I learned to read? And I I really don't like sight words is now a thing that I was like, I'm sure there was a thing when yeah, I was a child. But I don't remember that either. Yeah. Like yeah. I, um, but it, it just, you know, we often think about education as like a singular approach, but this sounds like something that can really be modified for how a student learns versus this is how you must learn. Exactly. You know, in, in, in a community like Memphis, you know, and, it, and it's unfortunately <clears throat> not just Memphis, you know, in the U.S., like we have here in Memphis, 86% of our students aren't reading on grade level. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that just means to me that the majority of our students need this extra support. They need something different, something that's going to help a little bit more to just tip that that number in the right direction. Right. 
I realize it's not your specialty to diagnose the problem necessarily. I mean, it is a high number. And I'm curious if from your seat, you like if you were able to wave a wand today and make some sweeping change, what would it be that would really strongly impact the reality that we're constantly having to remediate versus having kids who are mostly on track in terms of grade level reading? Right, right. Wow. Sorry, uh, what a what a deep could you, question. Could you solve the public <clears throat> education problem? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I think I'm getting my magic wand back from the from the shop yeah. <laughs> uh, soon. You know, it broke for a while. But, um, you know, I, 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 I hate to, like, harp on this, but, I you know, that magic wand really needs to first and foremost fix, you know, the reasons why we're here, mm-hmm. you know, which, again, I'm going to come back to our, you know, generational poverty, systemic racism, historic, you know, populations of students that have just historically been excluded from the ability um, and opportunity to succeed, right? So that that's where, you know, I would hope my magic wand would go initially. But, you know, when if we try to narrow the the view um, a little bit more into what's sort of in the locus of control of all Memphis, I think what's you know, uh, like you said, I'm not diagnosing, but 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 where we're seeing this breakdown starts really early. Mm-hmm. So this this is starting, um, you know, we've, we've got a really strong pre-K initiative going on here in Memphis. Um, and these kids are being really exposed to some really strong educational components in pre-K. And then we're getting to kindergarten, first, second grade, and really a lot of that is starting to fall off. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the emphasis in my mind needs to be on kindergarten right we can't wait until we get to the end of second grade or third grade mm-hmm. and say oh no look at all these kids who aren't reading let's let's figure out you know a summer program for them or let's figure out you know like anything is wonderful so I, I really applaud the work that's going on with third grade commitment and really trying to get these students caught up before we were matriculating them into grades where we're really then just setting them up for failure right so I really applaud that work but um, what I'm always trying to refocus and bring people back to is what if we didn't have those students hitting that wall mm. in second grade? Uh, what if we could cast a bigger net or, or work with those students more intentionally starting in kindergarten? And so what I really believe um, could be a solution to this is the response to intervention space that already exists in schools. Mm-hmm. So response to intervention is, um, you know, it, it came about in the reauthorization of IDEA, uh, No Child Left Behind, you know, sort of this idea that, you know, there was a disproportionate amount of students being um, promoted to special education. Um, and that was, and those students were primarily um, African-American students or Hispanic students. Um, and so we really, we, uh, the, you know, the government took a look, closer look at that and said, well, why, why is this happening? Um, and, you know, there's a variety of reasons that we could go into, but I think, you know, when we boil it down, um, you know, the fortunate piece was that it was decided, you know, that's not the way. We don't want to languish these students to special education. Let's give these students an opportunity to catch up before we just say, hey, this is the the education path that you need to be on. And so response to intervention um, was created, and it's this tiered approach where, you know, if, if you're falling a little bit behind, then maybe you'll get 30 minutes of, you know, extra intervention three days a week. And if you're really behind, hey, let's give you 45 minutes of extra intervention several days, you know, four or five days a week. And we really look to see how the student is responding to that intervention. Mm -hmm. And if they're responding to it, we say, oh, awesome. You know, they just need a little bit of extra support. 
Um, and, and you can get them caught up. They can come back down to regular, um, you know, the sort of the tier one whole classroom situation. Um, but the problem with, with response to intervention really comes down to funding. So it, it's, it's, it's an unfunded mandate. And so um, this was, you know, Tennessee adopted this and schools are meant to do this, um, required to do this, but with no extra dollars mm-hmm. um, to come along with this. Mm-hmm. And so what we're left with is the students who need the most um, not getting the expertise and, um, and expertise through curriculum, through teaching, um, all of that that they need. And so... Um, in Memphis, you know, about 86% of the students need that. And um, the way the system is and the, what, what schools can afford, only about 20% get that. And so there's always going to be students left behind and left out of this. And so I really believe that if we could figure out a way to make this response to intervention, um, cast a broader net, get students in at a younger age, remediate um, their needs from in kindergarten and first grade, then what we're going to be left at in, you know, when students are matriculating to third grade are really those students that do need that special education, mm-hmm. right? So, so we, we, we've, you know, taken care of the kids that just needed a little extra, a little extra, yeah, yeah. or a lot extra, yeah. but we, we provided them the a lot extra from kindergarten. And so, you know, when response to intervention works well, you can catch up, you can catch up, um, you know, very well. But, you know, that takes money and time and, and schools don't have that right now. And it takes experts, you know, so some people joke and say, oh, teaching reading, that's not rocket science. Uh, and I, I would argue that it, that it really is. Yeah. Um, that when, you know, if you go to the doctor because you're sick and the doctor looks at you and says, Whew, you've got something that I just don't feel that I can treat they're going to send you to a specialist. They're not going to send you to a nurse practitioner mm. or a nurse in training. And this is what's sort of happening to our kids here in the public school system. We, we're getting kids where teacher, classroom teachers say, I just don't know what to do. And they go on to work, you know, on a computer or work with a teacher's aide or a PE teacher mm. um, to be able to check that box of, you know, I got response to intervention. But I, I do really, you know, on the positive side of this, I, I really see a movement in Memphis of um, passionate school leaders, passionate teachers really recognizing the power of the RTI structure that's already in place um, and turning to all Memphis and looking for help of like, how can we strengthen this? Um, and, and we love working with those partners. I was about to say, so tell us a little bit, some of your current schools, and then you have alumni schools. So what is what is the difference between a current school and an alumni school at Old Memphis? Sure. So a current school is a school that we're in current partnership with. Right. Um, this year, um, we're really excited to be working with Journey Community Schools, um, headed by uh, a very fearless uh, leader, uh, Nicholas Manning, um, who you know really could objectively look at his student data and say, gosh, we need help. Um, and we need to take a really innovative approach. And so what they're doing is all hands on deck, right? So every one of their teachers, um, whether you teach math or music or reading or social studies, um, they're investing in those teachers to become experts in reading intervention so that when they get their group of students in an RTI setting, they can provide those students with what they need. So we're really pleased and excited to be working with Journey Community Schools. We're also working with um, Promise Academy, 
Um, Promise Academy Hollywood, I think, would probably be on our alum list. We, we've worked with them for the last three years, um, and we're moving into work with Spring Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're super excited this year. We have a contract with Shelby County Schools. Ooh. So we're piloting some of our work um, in three Shelby County Schools, uh, Valentine Elementary, um, Sherwood Elementary, and Lucy E. Campbell Elementary. That's good to hear. Um, I know sometimes it's it's easiest to work in the, the charter networks, um, which we are big fans of their work. Um, love, love Promise Academy. Um, but yeah, I think knowing that we, to impact the most change, like to be able to really get into the system itself, how, how do people graduate, quote unquote? How does a school move to alumni status? Is it just a certain number of teachers who've completed training or is it uh, or is it more the leadership of the school learning something? I mean, I know that unfortunately, like <laughs> teachers roll over and there's new staff. So sure. how do you make sure that an alumni school continues to have excellence yeah. across their teachers? Yeah, that is a super thoughtful question and something that, you know, All Memphis continues to grapple with, mm-hmm. um, continues to, you know, we're very driven by um, continuous improvement uh, models. And it's this is something that, you know, pops up on our continuous improvement radar um, often of, you know, what can we do um, to make sure that schools can be self-sustainable, Right. So we don't want to be an organization that is constantly um, being a financial drain on an institution because um, goodness knows these schools have a lot. Uh, You know, schools in Memphis, I think we're 44th in funding, you know, like and and thank goodness, you know, above my pay grade. But, you know, that the BEP is being re-looked at and I'm really, you know, rooting for um, there to be more money coming to students. But we don't want to be another one of these financial drains on schools. And so how do we how do we make sure a school can sustain this level of expertise when without all Memphis? And right. so right now we sort of have this approach, this model where we partner with the school, we go in and all Memphis is running running the all Memphis show. So we are training the teachers, we are mentoring the teachers, we are coaching the teachers, we are holding monthly PD, weekly walkthroughs, meetings. We are, you know, feet on the ground. My programs team is so amazing doing this this work, um, you know, and, and getting sort of that cohort of teachers up and running, giving them the support that they need and want. And then, uh, you know, hope for the best, right? Hope there's not a lot of turnover the next year. Um, but like you said, turnover happens. And so what happens then when when new teachers come in? Well, second year of partnership looks more like us working with an admin level person more closely mm-hmm. and trying to train them. Um, you know, and, and this person is someone identified by the school who is there to support teachers and develop the teachers. Like, so it's not like, a, you know, the, the C... FO, you know, like this, this is admin person dedicated to teacher development. And we really work with that person and show, you know, say, how do you, how do you look at the, what the teacher's doing in the classroom? How do you give constructive feedback? How do you, um, you know, shine a flashlight on the things that they're doing well, while also illuminating the things that maybe their students need more of, or that they could do a little bit differently to reach more of their kiddos. And so that that second year is really dedicated to trying to build that expertise into um, infrastructure infrastructure of the school. And then a third year, you know, we hope that partners stay with us for that third year where we really hand over the reins to the school. We are still, you know, we ask that they send all of their new teachers to us for training um, because that training really needs to come from um, come from the organization. 
but that all of the development on staff comes from that person in Mm -hmm. the school, right? And then when all Memphis then sort of when they become an alumni school, Mm -hmm. um, after that sort of that three-year turning over the reins, um, that's when, you know, they would lean on us for training, professional development, um, maybe fill some gaps um, that they might have. But really the majority of that um, teacher development can happen in school. Um, I mean, reading about y'all's work before we came to the studio today was really fascinating. I mean, there are so many fantastic organizations in the city working on literacy at all different levels. Um, But I love that the work that you're doing is very much a sort of like teach a man to fish model. Exactly. Um, So we're not constantly. And what you said that really resonated with me is, you know, we need to elevate the students to somebody who's an expert versus like, what, what may not be the best thing is like a student sitting down with me, layman, non-teacher who knows nothing about teaching, you know, to be like, when not to discourage anyone from volunteering in terms of literacy, uh, right, but right. to really send them to experts because that's what the, that's what the need is. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, tell us for anybody listening who is inspired as I am, um, how can people support your work? How can they learn more? Yeah. Well, um, gosh, I would be remiss if I, um, I if I didn't say, you know, financial donations. <laughs> you know, that's that's really um, what what keeps us going. Um, and so, you know, they can get on allmemphis.com, find our donate website, our donate button on our website. Um, and, you know, we, we often have some fun incentives um, with, with, with donations. But also just making sure to support the efforts that are going on statewide, community-wide, um, you know, Shelby County Schools often has a lot of listening sessions. Like, um, you know, we're really trying to reach even parents of students that are in private schools. You know, why is it important to support your public schools, even if you're not, um, you know, tapping into that network? If that's not the choice that you've made for your students, you know, how can you support it for other students? And why is it important to support that? Um, and really being an advocate for the city, going to those listening sessions, you know, talking about um, what they want to see in education in Memphis. Um, and then also on the state level, you know, um, really, you know, a lot of times, you know, you put your money where your mouth is and that, that equals a vote. Um, and making sure that you really know who you're voting for and, and what, their, what their position is within um, education here in our city. Well wow, put, yeah. well put. Yeah. Well, Krista, we were delighted to have you. Thank you so Thank much for you so your, much. your work. It's fascinating and, Thank you. and so important. So congratulations on all, all the work you've done and cheers to the next 10 years in Memphis, I hope. Yes, me too. Thank you guys so much. This was wonderful. Thank Thanks. you. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is Anna Thompson, a.k.a. A.T., um, and I have the wonderful privilege of chatting with two of my coworkers this holiday season. I have Christy Mullen, who is our director of marketing and communications, which you all know extraordinarily well as the anchor host of this wonderful podcast and radio show. And we are joined today by Laura Beth Davis, New Memphis's Director of Development. Do y'all want to say hi? And what's your favorite thing about Memphis? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Like AT said, you guys are probably sick of my voice by now. Um, but I am Christy Mullen. It's really cool to like have, I'm a little nervous on this side. It's really weird to have it like flipped on me. AT. I should I should like turn the lights out and <laughs> put know. a spotlight over you. It was like I hooked up to a lie detector. Yeah, to make you feel the pressure. <laughs> yes. I'm feeling it. Don't worry. Okay. Um, but I'm Christy Mullen. I am 
am the Director of Marketing and Communications here at New Memphis. Uh, my work is to help amplify our brand in the community and just make sure everyone knows the amazing things that we are doing in our organization on the daily. My favorite thing about Memphis is, I think you guys have heard on this podcast a million times, is just the people that call it home. It is the Memphians and the spirit of Memphis and the fact that all of us are acutely aware of the challenges our city faces, but everyone here, almost everyone you meet is truly working toward a solution for any problem the city has. So I know I've said it a million times, but that is still and will always be my favorite thing about this city, AT. Thank you very much, <laughs> Now to Miss Laura Beth. Uh, hello, everybody. Good morning. My name is Laura Beth. I'm uh, the Director of Development here at New Memphis. I have the privilege of sharing the mission of New Memphis and connecting people to the mission of developing, activating, and retaining talent here, uh, which is so exciting to do in such a great giving and philanthropical community as we have. Um, I Probably the the thing I love most about Memphis, there's so many good things about Memphis. I love the culture, the food, um, the music scene. Uh, my kids are school age, so the abundance of great education opportunities, I feel like um, for where we are as a city is just a great opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah, good points. I love that. Um, something I just thought about is that both of you, uh, as Christy likes to say, chose Memphis. Mm-hmm. Neither one of you um, are native Memphians, yeah. which is an exciting thing about that. Y'all both came to our fair city by choice and chose yes. to stay here. So <laughs> I always love to point that out when talking about things like that because I feel like it gives a unique perspective. So we are going to, this holiday season, um, we are in the thick of everybody feeling super generous, everybody pulling on your heartstrings. And they're, like everybody has said, there are so many wonderful organizations and things and places and people that you can donate to um, at this time of year and always. But we wanted to kind of throw our hat into the ring, as AME always likes to say, (laughs) to kind of tip our hats to you, to maybe debunk a few myths about what New Memphis is, where your money goes when you donate to New Memphis, and why it's important to consider us among all of the wonderful options you have this holiday season. Yeah. So um, either of y'all can take this, but can you explain a little bit about why our our mission at New Memphis is so exciting? Yeah. Well, I think the root of our mission, it's it's across the board, everything we do is rooted in keeping our talent here. And we have to keep our people in Memphis. We have to keep people excited about Memphis. And um, that benefits other organizations as well. So not only are they participating in our programs, but we're sure to connect them to the other assets and opportunities that are available to them. And um, New Memphis is the biggest cheerleader and champion for the city of Memphis and all of our other nonprofits and other great organizations, our companies that are here, um, small to large businesses alike. Um, So it's so important to remember us, I think, in in year-end gifts because we couldn't do our programs without support from our alumni, individuals, our corporate partners and foundations. We're we're so lucky to have so much great support um, to help us push our work forward and, and continue to make progress on our mission. So, yeah. yeah. That was wonderful. Like, I would like to piggyback off of what you said because it was great. Like, when I talk to people about giving to New Memphis, and I know we're going to get into, like, more nuances of the work we do, but when I talk about how people give to us, I'm like, you're not just giving a gift to us. You're giving back to your community. Our work impacts so many leaders that represent organizations 
throughout our city, much like Laura Beth said. And so when you choose to give back to us, you're, you know, you're choosing to give back to an org that is using all of the resources it has to pour back into our city. So a gift to us is a gift to Memphis is what I like to say. Ooh. I like that. Yeah. Leave <laughs> I it do to, like that too. To Christy to pull on those heartstrings as well. Like we said, we're stepping up to the plate, dear listener, and we we want to prove our worth to you. I promise. Uh, a, a I gift think I'm to gonna, I'm yeah. gonna steal that. A gift to sure. New Memphis is a gift to the community. I <laughs> Luckily, love that. we work together, Laura. <laughs> I know. You don't have to steal it. You can have it for free. <laughs> Yay! Everybody's pulling for the same team here. Yeah. Um, okay. So, can you talk a little bit about the ways that individuals, organizations, corporations, foundations, any of the above can give to New Memphis? The most impactful way people can give back from the work that I do benefiting uh, New Memphis is through a, a gift, a financial gift. Um, we're able to, to make that go further and farther for our programs, but you know, that's not easy for everybody, and we understand that. Um, so we do have opportunities for people to give back to New Memphis in other ways, uh, like nominating for our programs, because we have a lot of those starting up in the new year, um, particularly in Bark in February, and then our fellows in April. And just a note for those who may not know, those those programs do um, have an administrative fee, so people pay to participate, but those are um, heavily offset through philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for our alumni coming to coming through to support um, the programs that they've gone through, um, they truly are the ones that ensure a bright future for those. And um, so, yeah, so money would be great. Uh, a donation year end would be super helpful to help us make sure that we're doing the work we need to continue to do in 2022, um, but also nominating for programs and uh, participating in events, being mm-hmm. an attendee for Celebrate What's Right in the Spring, um, you know, Memphis 101 when that comes up in the in the new year, um, and then later in the year as we get to exposure and TEDx, those are also great ways to support. Absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things is that there are a variety of ways that mm-hmm. you can give your time and talents and everything else to New Memphis. Yeah. Um, so, you, you don't have to limit yourself mm-hmm. to just one of those ways also. So don't don't hear us say that, that you only have to pick one from each <laughs> column here. You can pick all of the above yep. <laughs> is, is a perfectly acceptable and much, much appreciated option. And it will not go unnoticed. No. Because we will notice and we will thank you heavily. <laughs> no, absolutely. Christy, so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about where – so Laura Beth mentioned how – giving offsets some of the mm-hmm. price of our programming actually a great deal of yeah, the price yes, of, our, of, of our programming so the fees that any participants pay or organizations pay mm-hmm. to send people through our leadership development programs would be much more expensive because it yes. costs us a lot more to put them on <laughs> than that people actually pay so can you tell us some of the other examples of what where people's money goes yeah. when they donate financially Guys, when you donate financially to New Memphis, your work goes to support future leaders of our city, like we've talked about with our leadership development programs. I know you've heard us talk about it before, but if you're a new listener, as you know, our programming affects young professionals to mid-career leaders to senior level executives. So you are influencing that people and kind of what I said earlier about giving back to your city and giving back to those leaders that work at those organizations. Um, other places your money goes is we have specific work dedicated to teachers. So specifically early career educators is where we rely heavily on our work because we know that early career teachers are the biggest flight risk not just in Memphis but worldwide especially like in the United States for sure 
And so what New Memphis does for our teachers is try to provide them with that sense of community, right? It, that bleeds through all of New Memphis's work is creating the sense of community for the leaders of our city, for the teachers of our city, and also for the collegians of our city, which is also through our launch work. So we hit so many demographics, which I think is something that's really cool and unique to us in terms of leadership development, because there are other leadership development organizations in the city, as we all know, we each do very unique things to us. And so I think when you give that gift to New Memphis, you get to automatically see what your money is benefiting. You get to see the impact. And if you don't think leadership touches your life in some way, I am here to tell you that you are mistaken because you are working with someone who is a leader that is leading you at work. Even if you're the top dog, like at the very top of the food chain, so to say, like we work with those people too. Like our LDI, every good leader knows that like you can never stop learning. And so you know, we're just expanding that horizon and it is going to impact you in some way. So to LB's point earlier about giving back to us and how you can, like that question you asked AT about where does the money go? Like, how do you see it in action? Like you see it in action in your everyday life through the leaders in the city. You see it in action through the community and through the events we put on. A lot of those events, which we promote for free, thanks to our amazing corporate partnerships and grantees that make our work possible. And also guys, dear listener, (laughs) You are who make that work possible because, yes, we have amazing corporate partners and we have fantastic grantors that, like, give us opportunity. But it is really those individual gifts, those people who give us no amount is too big, too small. Any amount helps. And those people that are individuals and really take heart of our mission and want to see Memphis get better and brighter and continue to develop the asset that we all know is what keeps the city running which is its people like a gift to new Memphis is just seeing that gift in action and you can see it through our leadership development programs you can see it if you follow us on social media you can also (laughs) see legitimate highlights and examples of where your money goes um and if you ever have any questions and you're like I want to make a gift to new Memphis but I'm not sure you know I don't quite understand because I understand sometimes it can seem like activating developing and retaining talent can seem very vague right um but I am happy to have a conversation with you I know Laura Beth is more than happy mm-hmm. to have a conversation with you and explain more but I hope that answered your question AT I feel like I got really long-winded because I no, get passionate I like talking it. about no, our work <laughs> I appreciate the passion I love it well and um, while our mission might be a little different yeah. you know, there is a purpose yep. for us there's yeah. a purpose for the work that we do here So, Laura Beth, Christy talked a little bit about where the money goes, but can you tell us a little bit about what type of person should somebody nominate for any of our programs? I mean, I'm sure we've all had those managers, those coworkers Mm -hmm. who could maybe use a little bit of tailoring in their approach to their management style or how they work with others and things like that. So can you tell us a little bit about nominating for a New Memphis program? Okay, so the type of person that you would maybe nominate for one of our programs. Um, It could be anybody really because of what we offer, but our Embark program is is suited a little more for those who are new into their careers. Um, Sometimes it might be someone that is defined as two to seven years into their career, but they could be a little older, they could be a little younger. It just depends on that person and where they are at that place and time. And that program is also, it's great for those who are a little bit younger, maybe a 20-something, because it's an evening evening program. Who, it's a little bit shorter, yeah, right? Yeah. It's four months, so 
you don't necessarily have to um, dedicate your daytime hours to, you know, to the program. Um, it's four months and they meet every other week. And it's it, a lot of personal professional development along with peer networking and just really getting to know people in the city who might be on, you know, from a different sector to keep things interesting, but also who might be on the same, you know, path that you're on in terms of um, being a professional. And then our fellows program is for those who are mid-career professionals. Um, you know, used to, we'd say an average age of 34, 35, but that has skewed differently over the years. And it could be someone in their 40s. It just depends on where you right. are in, in, in your career. Um, so anybody that you might work with who fits either of those categories kind of um, middle management kind of mm-hmm. looking to level up and mm-hmm. kind of take it to the next step yes and fellows runs for 10 months and they meet um once um once maybe once every other week um and that is you have an option there are a couple of cohorts a year one cohort meets at night one meets during the day so it just really depends on your schedule um that one's a little bit longer a little bit more intensive uh but it's you really do make lifelong friendships and in both, but in, in particular that one, because you do spend so much one-on-one time with people. And one of the beauties of that uh, program is that you spend time working with nonprofits, um, doing some capacity building. And I believe we've worked with over a hundred nonprofits since the fellows program's inception. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing that I like to mention too. I think we've hit on it a few different ways. Um, in our conversation, but that New Memphis really is kind of a hub for connectivity. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for ways to get involved in other nonprofits and you kind of don't know where to start, New Memphis is a great kind of springboard for that. Mm -hmm. Because like Laura Beth said, like through our leadership development programs, the exposure to all the different organizations, people like government agencies, opportunities that are out there in Memphis are kind of laid out on the red carpet for you when you're in one of our leadership development programs at any age, whether it's launch for our collegians, whether mm-hmm. it's Embark, which I am a proud alum of, um, Fellows, which Laura Beth mm-hmm. is a wonderful alum of, um, whether you're C-suite or anything in between. And our teachers, too. I can't yes. forget our, our wonderful teachers that y'all have heard recently um, on our Educators of Excellence podcast episodes, yes. which was fun to kind of dive into a different sector that mm-hmm. I was not super familiar with. I really want to touch on something that you both have actually mentioned in like your own way, which is the connectivity New Memphis provides. And the word network sounds so professional and kind of like nebulous. Yeah. Like, like, like what does that actually mean? You're building me a network. Cool. Great. <laughs> but truly what I have noticed about our leadership development programs in particular is that Laura Beth said it about her fellows experience. I know you experienced it with Embark AT and I've seen it play out among all of our people. Like, when you enter a room, a new fan nine out of ten times is there right. because we have built these connected networks of people. And it's not even a network of like, oh, this is someone I know that can like get me a job or this is someone I know that can, you know, help me get ahead in life. It's not that. You built these true, unique, connected, bonded relationships. And that is something you don't always get in the leadership development experience space. You get a lot of training and you get a lot of learning about your internal self. But something that is just so unique to us is that we really build upon that community experience. And then that plays out in our greater work as well. And I just wanted to like be sure to highlight that because if anyone is listening and is considering going through a New Memphis program, 
we are always open for recruitment. We, of course, have recruitment cycles, and our classes start at certain time periods. Right. But our, we're always open to accept applications, so you can apply at any time. And if you're just curious or if you're like, I don't know if I'm a fit, again, do not hesitate to reach out to anyone on this new Memphis staff, and we will get you where you need to be. If it's a question of, like, resources and money, talk to us about that, too, and we'll figure it out. That's why we have amazing donors, like Laura Beth said, that help us offset the cost of this programming because leadership isn't just for certain people. Leadership is for everyone, and, like, we all have a right to access these skills that are going to make us all be the best people we can be. So I just wanted to touch on that because it's one of my favorite pieces. I agree. I think it's super important too that, like you said, leadership and leadership development is for Mm -hmm. everybody. Like whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a creative, whether you're, you know, at a big corporation, whether you're at a really small company that has one person or two people there, like everybody has the right to be able to better themselves and to be a better employee, a better manager, a better boss, a better coworker. And honestly, it bleeds over into your personal life, too. It just makes you a better community member. All while growing your love of Memphis. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's see. What have we not covered about ways that people can get involved with New Memphis and particularly about ways that people can give in various aspects this holiday season? Yeah, I think LB mentioned we've talked kind of about financially. Make a gift. You can do that. There's several avenues you can do that. You can give on our website at newmemphis.org. You can sign up for our newsletter to get those and give through that avenue. You can even call and give me your credit card number personally, <laughs> and I will gladly work, get that. Like, I mean, Let me some people like to knock it, number. like kick yeah. it old school. Okay. Like they don't, they don't trust the like computer. It sounds um, like I'm trying to get people's credit card numbers at the holiday yeah. season. <laughs> like, I took a credit card yesterday. Yeah, actually, so. like some people are just actually, really, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's very helpful and handy. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people just don't trust tech, and I'm like, look, I, that's fine. I will, I will do it in the back end way. Like I will go behind the scenes yeah, and get it done. The old school. Yes, we and then to please. Yes, we will. We will And we talked about that second way of giving back, which is nominating people for our programs and you yourself developing your skills set and being part of our programs. I think something that Laura Beth mentioned, but we haven't like dove into is like that third thing of attending our events. Yeah. So New Memphis does. We have a wonderful community engagement team that works to bring these events that are free to the public, a lot of our events are free, guys. They do an amazing job, yes. too. I need to take a moment and give, like, yes, all the snaps. snaps. Big snaps um, for our events team. They, like, I mean, they kill it on the regular. And it's just these events, guys, we put so much thought and effort to curating them. Not just for an event. It's not just an excuse to have a fun a thing for you to go to. Yeah. We are curating an experience, quite frankly, to have an impact in our community. Whether it's TEDx Memphis, where we bring these incredible knowledge leaders to the stage where they get to highlight the amazing work that's going on in Memphis, Memphis, whether it's exposure on 901 Day or the events that we do surrounding 901 Day that amplify the voices of the nonprofits and organizations that are doing the work. Those are our two biggest. But we do the smaller events as well, such as Celebrate What's Right Luncheons, where we shine a light on positivity. We have this Meanwhile in Memphis podcast that also costs us money to do, guys. Like, (laughs) And we have our lovely friends that give us a free platform, and we are so thankful. Shout out to WYXR. I hope you guys are listening. Um... But, you know, we do all of these things to amplify these voices and give the community an opportunity to also be a part. I think that is something that's really cool about our community engagement events and all of our community engagement efforts, including our Celebrate Your City efforts that extend across, you know, mine and AT's work on the marketing and communication side of things, is we are really wanting to bring Memphians that are here and new Memphians alike that are new to the city into the fold, even though our job is not to 
attract talent to the city our job is to retain you and the best way that we can retain you is by showing you all the like incredible things and facets that this city has to offer and again our amazing events team does just that they give you all you need again capital f-r-e-e almost all of our (laughs) events are free like there are a few things that you pay to play but overarchingly most of them are free and we like to keep them that way again i'm just going to harp on it one more time mm-hmm. that is why donations and financial support gifts are yeah. so important to us because we want to keep these events like accessible we want anyone in the community not just our network we do have events of course that are just for our alumni network and for those things that's like a perk of course of going through our development just like if you went to a school and was alumni or something you know there's certain things you get for going through that experience but we also cater to the greater community as a whole. It's just not about us and our alumni and the people that go through our programs. Although, if you have dedicated the time, we love you so much for going through <laughs> our program and we love our alumni base. It's about this city and it's about everyone that calls it home. So again, you give us a financial donation. Yes, you come through a program. Big yes. You also get to come to these events and experience the wonder that is Memphis all because of the work that we do here at New Memphis. And quite frankly, if you're not excited about that, like I'm just, I'm really concerned about you at this point. I know, then we're, we're probably not the podcast for you. I, I gotta like, be honest <laughs> for you. <laughs> you're not listening if this is not for you at this point. What about all of that that you just said? Um, I mean, it's not only about raising funds for yeah. New Memphis, but also raising awareness. Um, so yes, which yeah. is what all of those things hit on. So I think it's really fun. I think the thing I was thinking about when y'all were both talking is like, once you know better, you can do better. And I just feel like that's the main reason that we tried so very hard to make sure that there is accessibility to all Mm -hmm. of our events so that people can learn about our history at Memphis 101. People can. Oh, great call out. There's so many. I I mean, you can you can turn your love of Memphis into action on 901 Day or at TEDx Memphis. I mean, you can share these ideas and people can come together. I mean. I'm excited for the new year. We have some really awesome guests mm-hmm. lined up for the podcast that are going to be talking about the connectivity of uh, how they meet people mm-hmm. at TED and what came from that. And I'm just, I'm really, really excited about the ways that our network, which mm-hmm. I know is a kind of a lame word, yeah, but it is, it is it's a tapestry. That's the better yes, word. Is that's I a think great that. word. Because everybody is unique and everybody has their unique talents that mm-hmm. they lend to our city, but all together we can make a bigger picture. We can paint a better picture for our city than anybody can individually. So I think that's what New Memphis does so well is that we bring people together mm-hmm. to be able to see that big picture realized, which... It's really inspiring. It's really cool to like talk about our work in this way because I think we all are so in the thick of this work, right? We all, obviously, you guys have deduced by now, we all work for New Memphis. But I feel like we all, this is a lot of work that we do. We take on a lot of initiatives and we churn out a lot of product for this city. But in the end, when we get to sit down and really take a step back and a beat to see what we are actively trying to make happen... It is like an amazing thing, and it's really cool to get to be a part of it in a small way. When you mentioned together, it's one of my favorite words <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's just us all being in it together, and um, you know, just making sure that our our city is moving forward, and our our we're moving forward personally and professionally, and um, and progressing and growing, and 
but yeah, that's one of my favorite words in fundraising. If I can, <laughs> I like if I can tie it together into some kind of messaging, I usually try yeah. to. Oh, I love it. I love it. Don't make me start singing High School Musical. I literally, you know how hard it was for me to contain myself. Okay, sorry, sorry, dear listener. That's all we can we can say. I know, right? I'm not going to do that to anybody. No. But. Okay, so as we close out this wonderful episode, Laura Beth, can you implore our dear listeners one more time? Yes, uh, individuals, alumni, uh, corporate partners who may be listening, um, you know, just please consider us for a year-end gift. Uh, no amount is too small. Um, we are a, a great steward of your donation, and, and we will put it to great use next year, we promise. Um, you know, we, will have a, we have a match going on right now, so dollar for dollar, every donation we receive uh, will be matched, and that just helps us uh, – uh, double the work that we do so doubling the impact so yes please consider us in your year and gifts uh if you if you're unable to to donate this year consider a nomination because that uh we're grateful for that as well Look. so exciting double down i was about to say and the match was provided by dunavant right yes. this time so dunavant mm-hmm. enterprise Ooh, is our good friend yeah mm-hmm. we love a matching gift and guys come on double it up like you can give me a dollar and that means two that's exactly right. Like, I mean, literally. It's basic math principles. That's the kind of math I can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't make me start the jingle from that doublement oh, commercial pl- now, too. I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready because that's what we're doing. It. We're doubling our um, our efforts. Yes. Double your match. donations so we can double our efforts here at New Memphis mm-hmm. to make an impact in the city, quite frankly. Because I just want, we just want, not even, it's not a, about the donations like Laura Beth said. Yes, we need it. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. We run off of donations. We cannot do our work without financial donations. And everything we get, we pour back into the community, yes. which is the basic principle exactly. of a 501c3. So for anybody who doesn't know, a true nonprofit, anything that's coming in is going, going back out. out to the community. Yes. So that's a friendly reminder. And that is why I'm saying right now, like Laura Beth said, double time. Mm-hmm. Get to it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Christy and Laura Beth. Oh, can I mention really Yeah. Quick? Yeah. Just newmemphis.org slash donate for yes. your donations. Yes. We're going to put it in big bold. Yeah. You can also donate on social media. I'd be mm-hmm. remiss if I did not plug that, you know. So, so easy to do. We're at the New Memphis on every social media channel. Newmemphis.org, as Laura Beth said, slash donate if you want to get real specific. But we have a huge donate button if you just find your way to the regular page. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, now, AT, continue to close this out. Thanks so much. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I'll allow it. Y- y'all can stay. <laughs> Uh, But thank you again, Laura, Beth, and Christy for stopping in and letting everybody know about all the wonderful ways that they can donate and be a part of the New Memphis Mission, both in 2021 and 2022 and beyond. So until next week, thank y'all. Thank you. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.